Hey everybody, welcome back to the To Be Canadian podcast with your host, John Connell. Joining me this week is founder, entrepreneur, and organizer, Kenny Goldman. Kenny is the founder of SalesTO, a Toronto-based sales meetup to help you launch a career in sales and entrepreneurship. In his day job, Kenny is currently running two different startup companies, one of them being a consulting company and the other is a company called Sprintlio. I invited Kenny on the pod because he's just a great person to interact with and frankly learn a lot from. I've broken this conversation up into three different parts just to give you all a little bit of an intermission. I have been hearing that in some other podcasts that I really like, so I wanted to try it out. I thought it'd be nice to hear a little bit of music to pause and just give you a second to reset. It was a long conversation and we packed tons of content in there, so I just wanted to give a little bit of space between topics. We start by talking a little bit about what Kenny's been up to lately. Then we discuss a little bit more about how Kenny views taking risks, the strategies that he employs to get shit done. And then we cap it off with some words of wisdom from the man himself and a few thoughts on how to break free from the fear of failure. This episode in particular was a lesson for me in podcast production. What I've been doing for the first couple episodes is really just taking the content and dropping it in. So right after the intro, I just drop the conversation in. I don't slice it up. I just leave it as it is. For this one, I did a lot more post-production work, which for those of you unfamiliar with the audio industry is mostly editing of the conversation, removing filler words, removing any space between, because I want to focus on increasing the pace of the story just to make it a little bit more easier to listen to this podcast. Now for this episode, I will mention there's a little bit of background noise that creeps in that I couldn't quite figure out how to edit it out. But nonetheless, Kenny and I had a great conversation. It was a pleasure to spend a little time with him and get some insight into his thought patterns. And I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Kenny Goldman. All right, ground rules out of the way. We're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kenny Goldman. Hey, hey. Kenny, wicked to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, man. Here we are at the DMZ in downtown Toronto. What do you think of this place? It's good, man. I think uh, there's a lot of a lot of shit that gets done here, and unfortunately, there's a lot of shit that doesn't always get done. Mm-hmm. Um, people can some sometimes be swayed by you know ping pong tables and um, all the all the perks that come with startups. For sure. So it's about balancing, I think. How do you get anything done? You have so much on the go that I'm going to ask you about. How do you get shit done? You know what? Since I got my dog, I got a puppy about seven months ago, and. Nice. He's forced me to work from home. Awesome. And so I don't have the distractions that people here have, right? Which mm-hmm. is like, just go outside and you hear people bantering and you just jump into a conversation with people. You walk to the washroom and you see a buddy and you want to chat with them or, you know, there's a ping pong game going on or whatever is happening. I don't have those distractions. So uh, I'm at home. I've learned to just be productive at home and, and get what needs to be done at home. Um, but I'm also in a position where I, I don't have a stable income month to month. Right. And so if I don't work a day that directly impacts how much I make it that month. Mm-hmm. And so maybe many people here are like that too, but in a scenario where maybe you're a venture back company, you've raised some funding, pay yourself a salary. Of course, you've got a specific run rate associated to it, but my run, th- my run rate for all intents and purposes is month to month. Right. So it's very clear to know what I need to do to make sure that I'm making what I want to make every single month. Right. So, so do you work the 996? I work the 996, yeah, I work the 997 actually. Um, Is that right? It's just, you gotta find time, you gotta balance. Like For sure. It's fun, I spend more time with my, doing like personal family things mm-hmm. than most people. And I also spend more time working than most people. Mm-hmm. And that's just because that that other category of just doing useless shit, in my opinion, right. I don't do. Right. Um, so uh, it's just about finding that balance and prioritizing and being ruthless with your time. So. How, how much downtime do you have? As much as I want, honestly. It, where, Which when, doesn't sound like it's too much. It, I, <laughs> I enjoy what I do, and so I don't need downtime to get away from what I do. But I make other things a priority. Hmm. We were talking earlier about learning to play guitar. Like I set an hour once a week to have a teacher come by, right? and then time every single day, or at least I try time every single day or every other day to play for five, five ten-minute increments two, three times a day. Right. 
um, I walk my dog three times a day, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the afternoon, an hour in the evening, right? That's almost three hours of time spent walking my dog, you throw in the guitar there, all of a sudden three and a half hours throughout the day, I'm doing personal stuff that most people don't do maybe on uh, in an entire week. Right. And so it's just about balancing and like huh. knowing what your schedule is ahead of time and prioritizing and making sure that you're focusing on the most important things and not just things. When you're walking your dog, are you just walking your dog? Like, are you detaching or are you listening to an audiobook? You listen to a podcast? Most of the time I'm on calls. Are you? Yeah. I use that time to schedule like internal calls. Mm. Um, like, hey, let's chat when I'm walking my dog because I don't need to be taking notes necessarily. Right. That's when I can help other people with problems they're struggling with. Or I can take personal calls. Planning for my fiance's birthday, boom, this is a perfect time to call up the restaurant, make a reservation, and just right. do what I need to do. Right. So it's actually a good time to just get that stuff out of the way. Call my parents, whatever I want to do, right? But like, I have that, I have that time. I can't use it by being on the computer because I'm walking the dog outside. And so there's some times where I'll just want to just walk the dog. Right. No headphones in, just enjoy the weather when it's nice out, just enjoy walking the dog and talk to people as I, I walk by them. And then there are times where I know I have to make calls or do what I need to do. And I'm not, I used to be big into the audiobooks and podcasts and things like that. And I just felt that I can only devote so much brain power every single day. And I'd rather at this point in my life devote that to learning and executing every single day mm -hmm. and just explicitly reading. Right. Because I find that to be the highest signal for me personally. And if I'm not going to spend as much time learning through other sources, I'd rather spend all that time on one source, which is simply reading. Right. You run a couple of different startups and the founder of sales TO. We're definitely going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But what, what are you learning day to day? You know, you know what, what are you reading? Depending on what, what I'm doing day to day, um, what, what, you know, what problems I'm trying to solve with the, the startup. Um, I would say the majority of my time today or in, you know, past few months has been devoted to my consulting startup. Okay. And that one, I'm focusing more on automating aspects of the business, bringing on more consultants so that I can spend less time doing, doing the day-to-day -day lever pulling and focusing on more business and strategic goals. And my partner is the, is the founder of the company, working with him to try to remove him from also day-to-day -day and taking over a lot of the, you know, the responsibilities of just running the business. I don't spend a ton of time necessarily reading up on that. I spend a ton of time thinking on how to be most efficient and track the information we need to track mm -hmm. and make sure that we're preparing for the next phase of the company, the next period of the company, whereby I will be removed from the customers or I won't be as involved on every project. And how do I make sure that we're still our throughput is still great, that customer's experiences are still great, and all those things are still intact, even though I'm not involved with them. Right. So that that's what I'm spending my time focusing on with that startup. So what's what's that consulting firm do? You know, I, there's tons of consulting out there, so what are you guys doing? Tons, specifically Salesforce. Nice. So every company, every B2B company at the very least, struggles in some capacity with Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And if they don't struggle with Salesforce, like kudos to them, I'd love to see what they're doing, but it's not, it's a, it's a, complex, comprehensive product that still has a lot of constraints to it. And so, and every business is different. And so most companies need help setting it up, fine tuning it to their business and just figuring out what the hell we need to do so that we're not rebuilding this thing every six months, but it's actually built in a scalable way that'll allow us to grow at the rate we need to grow without technology being a hindrance hmm. on our process. Yeah, definitely big market for you guys there. It's, it's, Easy in that sense, like we know who our customers are, right? Yeah. Do you use Salesforce? Yes or no? You're either a customer or you're not. Right. Um, and Salesforce obviously has built enough of a customer base that, you know, we can easily build, I mean, a market has been built off, off Salesforce customers. So yeah, it's, it's not one of those problems that other companies might struggle with. Like, how do you figure out if a company uses Shopify Plus? There's no indication anywhere. There's no, it's not as big of a market necessarily as whether or not a company's on Salesforce. Most companies that have grown past a certain size likely are on Salesforce. Right. How about the other startup? What's so, this one all about? Sprintlio um, is focused on helping engineering and product teams run a type of meeting called retrospectives. Retrospectives are a type of meeting that um, agile teams will run after every sprint 
and in, in sprints are little short cycles that agile engineering teams will do to ensure efficiency and, and make sure that they're actually agile in their development. And they run retrospectives to reflect back on the on the sprint and say, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what are we happy, what are we sad, confused about? Turns out that the majority of the market are conducting these meetings on whiteboards. Hmm. Problem with whiteboards is while it's great when you're all sitting in a room together, it doesn't really connect back to the technologies we use. It's terrible for tracking. Um, and so what ends up happening is the same things keep recurring on this whiteboard because no one's actually addressing them because someone doesn't put them in their JIRA board right. or someone doesn't write them out afterwards or there's no owners and there's no tracking right? and uh, causes disenfranchisement. People are upset. People don't like these meetings and they're super valuable because any sort of reflection is. Uh, but the experience of this meeting tends to frustrate a lot of it, engineering teams. Right. That's funny. I saw an app doing a similar thing, but for one-on-ones with managers. Fellow in Ottawa, I think. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. They're a cool company. Yeah, cool company. Yep. A lot of people, my guess is, have the same feedback, <laughs> the same priorities week after week with managers and the same same deal with product teams is what, totally. what you're, you're onto, hey? 100%. Um, hmm. There's a subset of the market that may not like it, especially if they're all co-located. But as soon as you introduce any sort of distributed team members or a remote environment, you just can't have the same meeting as you could if you're sitting in front of each other. For sure. As soon as you introduce Zoom or some sort of conferencing, whiteboards are useless. And so how do you then run the most effective process after that? Right. Um, And in most cases, a Google Doc is not the most effective. It might be the easiest. But once again, Google Docs tracking and integrations and all these things are pretty poor. Yeah, they're essentially just whiteboards stored in your Google Drive. Exactly. And you're never going back to them. No one ever goes back to them. And so I love Google Docs. I use them all the time, but I'm trying to remove myself from using Google Docs because, you know, we write something up and never gets touched again. Um, So unless you have a team that's super diligent about it or you have tools dedicated to specific actions, it's the approach to take. Hmm. That definitely sounds like that's a lot to keep you busy. It's fun. It's what I signed up to do, man. Like I've been a part of a few startups now and um, I don't know what it is about it yet. I think about it often, how I got to this position. I feel super fortunate being in this position that I'm able to take these risks. But I think I I know I enjoy it much more than the positions I were in previously in my other startups, Mm -hmm. the other companies I worked for. Right. Right. You want to be on the ground early stage. I don't even know if that's the case because I could go join a company at an early stage. Um, I'm just tired of the bullshit that comes with a lot of the companies. Right. The, you know, especially nowadays, if most, a lot of startups are venture backed, it's just a lot of politics, totally. um, smoke and mirrors. I'm just not interested in that. Like I'm tired of pumping up metrics for the sake of a board meeting. It's just not what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not what gets me excited the problems that certain companies are solving, not their vision, but like day to day, I'm trying to solve this problem. It doesn't act, you can't attribute it back to what the customer wants or what the goal of why you started this company is. And too often than not, that's dictated at the executive level and something that's just poured down to the employees and not always visible to everyone. And so I'm gonna create my own set of metrics and things that I do day to day that I think are actually moving the needle for people I interact with and not have to worry about like the politicking or the, you know, bureaucracy that comes with a lot of this stuff. Right. Done to some degree, maybe necessary part of it for some companies, but I think a lot of it can be avoided. To summarize then, what, why did you start these two companies? Are, are you just looking to be your own boss or what's the meaning behind it all for you? As much as I want to say I had the intention of starting a company, I don't think I had the intention of starting a company. These things they kind of evolved over time and it wasn't like one day I woke up and I decided, okay, cool, you know, I'm going to start a company. These were relationships and opportunities that were nurtured over long periods of time just by doing a bunch of stuff and saying yes to a bunch of different things and exposing myself to different types of people and different opportunities. And eventually the right ones just bubbled to the top. Hmm. And these happened to be the right opportunities with the right people at the right time that it was hard to say no to. And it seemed like it was worthwhile my time. So it wasn't a decision that I consciously made. It was a decision that over time started to mold itself into something that I want to do day to day and became an opportunity that allowed me to. 
Right. So it just sort of evolved as, as you went on. Totally. Yeah. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, we're going to start a company. It was something that over months of relationship building and figuring out, hmm. it just kind of grew and developed and became something that could um, support me, support other people, generate money, um, generate interest, growth, all the things that I look for to make sure that I'm spending my time in the right places. Yeah. You know, I always think that the, the best stuff comes from organic growth like that. Totally. One day you sort of start doing it. The next day you continue doing it. You start having a bunch of fun. Then one day, all of a sudden you have two companies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's, uh, it, it was never planned as much as I want to say, like I always had intentions of going down this route. You never know the specifics or the details that come with it. And I didn't know a year ago that I'd be sitting in this position necessarily. Hmm. So did you think you would just go a little bit more traditional? Like when you, when you came out of university, what did you think you were going to do or what did you want to be doing? My path in university was not conventional. I started working at a startup in my third year of university, pushed university to the side. So I took evening courses mm -hmm. and uh, all my courses on a specific day so that I could work full time at a startup. And so my second semester of my third year was when I started working full time. And I found that my learning at the startup was much greater than my learning at school. And I realized that I need to be devoting my attention to where I'm learning the most, meeting, you know, the greatest people, um, getting the best opportunities. And it was at the startup. It was at Vidyard. Hmm. And over that year and a half, and I even stayed there after I graduated, was probably the reason where I am where I am today. Because what I was exposed to then are some of the same lessons and insights and skills that I use today to get me to where I am. And it gave me a level up coming out of university, having a year and a half of experience being, I started off as an AE as soon as I graduated in the same month that I graduated, I was promoted to an AE where most people might take two years moving around different startups as an SDR. It, it's not often that they'll graduate and become an AE for sure. And so in two years is pretty generous too. Totally. I see it now all the time. And, and this was 2013 at the time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot's changed in the sense that I think tech has become more prominent, at least in Canada, right. in Toronto, and going into tech sales has become more of an opportunity for many more people than it used to. And so back then, that wasn't that crazy, I think. In hindsight, maybe I wasn't, I shouldn't have been in that role, but I, I mean, I performed, so the metrics spoke for themselves. But that being said, that opportunity just kind of opened the door for everything that I've done thus far. You hit it right at perfect timing. Um, it, it's really taken everything by storm, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, you've had a big role in that with Sales TO, which I, which I want to talk to you about because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always curious to hear origin stories. And that is one that I think is going to be particularly interesting. So Kenny, tell me a little bit more about sales TO. How did that all start? When I was working at Hired, I felt that one way to improve how I was a sales rep and just, you know, stand out was to become a better speaker, was to make sure that I was the most confident, articulate, and just natural speaker, either when I'm presenting in front of an audience of prospects or customers at an event or one-to-one. -one. And I, I didn't have much experience besides selling and, and actually going in and doing demos and having conversations. I wasn't getting much practice out there and being able to try different things and test new things. And I think most companies fail at that, quite frankly. Right. But I felt there's got to be a way for me to get that exposure and experience speaking in public. And so... I happen to have met a lot of VPs of sales and sales leaders in the Toronto community just through getting out there in the network and talking to people and always learning about different jobs and understanding what people are doing. And so I found the four smartest sales leaders I could possibly find. I found a venue and I said, I got a designer friend to start working on some content for me and I started to put the pieces together. I put a thousand dollars of my own money to hold some beer from Steam Whistle, put a $600 purchase for pizza, just estimating how many people. This was a, a bit after I started to get signups, but I just kind of put it out in the ether. And I told the speakers that, you know, I can guarantee about 70 people to the event. Had no idea how many people would show up. It was just a guess. And I was hoping that all my friends would show up and my family. 
Uh, it turned out we got 125 folks out there. Uh, nice. I had to order more beer and pizza for everyone. Um, I was doing everything from setting up the chairs to helping ensure the audio was up and running to make sure that tickets were being scanned at the front, making sure that water was being refilled. And I was shaking that first event because it was, it was the first time I'd ever spoken in front of that many people <laughs> yeah. on in, focused on me, right? right. At, at a family event or something is totally different. Right. But everyone was there because I'd put on that event. And that's kind of how it got started. The reception was very positive. People loved it. The environment was great. The speakers, the content was super valuable. And so that's, you know, the first event that really kicked it off. And from there, I've just continuously run them. So were you associated with like the TechTO ecosystem from day one? No, it was it was kind of like a branch of Sales Hacker, actually. Um, gotcha. With Max Ultra, uh, who's now part of Outreach. It was kind of like the start to the Toronto Sales Hacker chapter. And I felt that like I wanted to add my own twist to it, my own flair. And so I started to look at other opportunities when else was out there. That same time after the you know first few events, Tectio had actually reached out to me and said, they're looking at expanding their offerings. And they're uh, one offered you know different verticals. And they felt that what I had built was first already had an audience and was very directed and, and, and had found footing in the Toronto tech community. So they didn't have to worry about developing it. Uh, they felt that I was a competent host. And so they, they want to acquire it, bring me into the fold and just continue to run it and maintain all the administrative aspects. One thing that I don't think people realize is like, I just spend 20 hours a week just prepping for the next event. Whether it was speakers, content, venue, sponsors, worrying about attendee issues and questions and FAQs and setting up all the digital assets takes up a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So they came on, I came on board and they took over all the administrative work. Nice. So I could focus on just speakers and content, which is what I enjoy doing and remove all that off my plate. Nice. It's always good to get the administrative side of things out of the way. Focus totally. on what you like doing. So what I've learned is that um, I try to outsource as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even just the work; it's the thinking. Right. Right. I don't. I don't remember anything anymore. Either it goes on my phone as a reminder, as a calendar update, something. But I just don't remember anything hmm. because if I don't have to remember it, it means I can focus time on things that actually need my my brain power. Right. Every day. I plan in my calendar when I'm walking my dog. Just put them in the week in advance before my calendar gets booked so that I don't have to worry about that morning what time I'm going to take the dog for a walk. Right, right. And just that You got to schedule it. Yeah, just that stress or anxiety of having to worry about it will take up some of your mind share and prevent right. you from actually focusing on what matters. Um, I have a reminder every morning at 8 a.m. to take out dinner. Mm -hmm. for my fiance and I from the freezer or whatever we're going, if I have to go buy some veggies or something along those lines every morning. And that just makes sure that I know to take it out so that she doesn't get home and like we don't have anything to make for dinner. Right. If that's one of the things that I never realized was actually weighing on my shoulders every single day that I've totally removed. Things like bookkeeping or accounting, at a certain point, it just made more sense for me not to worry about it and have a professional take care of it and let me focus on what I'm, what I can and what I'm good at. I was just talking about this with uh, a friend of mine. He's a stand-up comedian, but he also has a nine to five. And we we're talking about how to actually accomplish anything. And I was like, man, I just, I just have to have it in the schedule. I just have to know where I'm going next. And then you just don't even question it. You just show up and you're like, okay, right. I'm at the gym or okay, right. It's, you know, sprint Leo time. Yep. It's yeah. that, that's how you got to go about it. You got to schedule things in your calendar and be ruthless. And like, I'll have day every days where it's no calls. And then if I see it's booked or if I send out a Calendly, no one's going to book time there. And it's like two hours to just reorganize my day to right. focus on tasks that I need to get done that day or other priorities that I need to work on. Um, because if it's just constantly being reactive, I'll never have time to be proactive about the tasks that I need mm -hmm. to get done and just following my calendar. So I'll be very specific about when I'm booking certain things and focus on uh, booking time off that no one else can book. What about vacation? You ever take vacations? Is that a thing for All you? All the time. Do you? All the time. I'm going away in June to my bachelor party. Nice. From Thursday to a Sunday in mid-July. After I get married, we're going away to Italy for two weeks. Oh, brilliant. Congratulations, um, by the thanks, way. Man. Engagement. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. It's going to be awesome. In November, uh, I'll be going to Dreamforce. Sweet. In San Francisco. 
I mean, that's work, but I also use it yeah. to enjoy. Yeah. And any chance I get, like if we want to go away for a weekend or we want to take a day off and we won't, you know, she's a teacher, so she shouldn't really get days off, but in the, in the event she does, um, and we want to do something, we can go ahead and do it. Right. Within reason, I'm not unreasonable, but the good thing about my work is I could just pick up a laptop if we're going away to family in Montreal or right. go to the States or somewhere. I can always just take my laptop and I can at least delegate work and check up on things yep. and not have to focus on doing day-to-day work. I can just kind of schedule those things out. Right. Has Toronto always been home for you? Yeah. Have you always lived here? My parents are just up north. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, just outside of Toronto, but I moved to Toronto two and a half, three years ago. Mm. And you're not lured by San Francisco or Austin, Texas. I mean, this is home for you. Oh yeah. Definitely not moving. Yeah. Nice. Mm thought about it before I got engaged and things like that like it might be cool to move away a couple in it for a couple of years but I as as I've gone through it I don't know it's just a reaction to me not doing it but I don't feel like I'm necessarily tied down here if I wanted to in theory I could move yeah my fiance loves her job and so she doesn't anticipate moving and she can't really be a teacher at the same school somewhere else right and she gets summers off yeah brilliant. so if we wanted to go to Amsterdam for a month brilliant in theory we could there's nothing preventing us from doing it. Hmm. And so I'm going to take advantage of those times. And then in the future, if things change, I know someone that went to Italy for six months, like quit his job yeah. and had a successful exit, liquidation event at a startup. They have enough money that they're not really concerned. And they rented out their house and they moved to Italy for six months. Yeah, brilliant. I don't think you have to necessarily do it when you're young. I think a lot of people say that and I don't disagree with that. But if you build your lifestyle in a certain way, you could still take advantage of traveling even with kids. Mm. You just have to be prepared and know what you're getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Kids or a dog even. Kids are, I don't think I'm going to bring the dog. He's, I, I think the dog's more of a pain in the ass than a kid. I've never had a kid, right? So we'll see when I actually have kids. But Dogs are a lot. A, a kid you can throw in a stroller and they'll cry and you can pick them up and you can put them down. But a dog, you can't really just throw in a stroller to relax. Yeah, yeah. Like they're always on. Yeah. And you go to new places like... Normally they would sleep for a few hours every single day, but you go travel somewhere and there's more people or it's crowded area. Like they will always be on. And I mean, they're dogs, right? They're animals. So you can't really, at least a puppy doesn't have the same level of discipline as, as an older dog might. For sure. One, one thing I'm always curious about, especially with people who are actually doing it, living this life. It's easy to talk about. I talk about it all the time. I have a podcast and I essentially talk about it every episode. (laughs) I work a nine to five. I sit at a desk. Yeah. How much intention, how much thought has to go behind actually doing it? I think it takes a, a, a certain personality. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because had you asked me three years ago, four years ago, Kenny, in, you know, f- would you ever see yourself working from home at you know, a couple startups and it's a remote team? Probably not. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily know I had it in me. I think there's some things that you can look for to see whether or not someone's capable of it or whether you're capable of it. And one of those things has been, I think, a big factor that a lot of companies are hiring, you know, hiring practices that are put into place that people may place weight on, but it's oftentimes not one of the biggest priorities is uh, goal setting and goal completion. Mm -hmm. So um, one thing that I never realized that I really did, but was I'll often set goals for myself and I'll try to hit those goals. In a lot of cases, I will hit those goals. I think it lends itself nicely to, you know, the result of that is being self-disciplined, enjoying like self-actualization of achieving those goals and other factors that come with hitting your goals. But being a goal-oriented person means that you have the the will and the self-discipline to get things done no matter how difficult they are right? and big of a change they are. And if you don't have that skill it's going to be hard to work from home, set goals for yourself. And in all areas, like this is not just about working from home. Oh yeah, I can take calls from home. Like I've become an expert in Canadian tax, right? And personal finance. And I have a lot of bank accounts and I've set up a few different corps now, US and Canadian. I'm in the process of doing that. And you can go about it two ways. You can either be a person that's goal oriented and sets out to learn these things and document these things and Take, take the time needed to become an expert, or you can delegate it out, outsource it to actual experts who I recommend always doing, I do that, but I don't have to pay them to do 100% of it. Right. I can do 20, 30% right. of the work and understand what I need and then explain and articulate to that to them so that they know what they need to do as a result of what I need to get done. Right. Um, and so if you're that type of person that just, I've always managed a budget, 
and I keep track of how much I spend to the penny every single month. These types of things. I set goals for myself to learn to play guitar, right? Like many adults don't learn these types of things. And so if you find yourself being that type of person, that's one indicator that might lend itself nicely to saying, yeah, I can, I can maybe be that person that also works from home and has that self-discipline. Right. So when you set a goal, is it process oriented or outcome oriented? An example I'll give is like, you know, if you're like, I want to, you know, bench press 185 pounds versus, uh, I want to go to the gym four times a week. Yeah. How do you set your goals? It's a good question. I think it varies. I think it depends on the activity. Mm -hmm. For instance, now that I think about it, a lot of it is goal oriented, especially if it's something that I'm not familiar in. Right. With like guitar. Right. I don't know what's reasonable. Right. I just know that I want to know how to play these four favorite songs of mine. Right. And so that's how I'll assess whether or not I'm successful is can I play these four songs? Right. In that process might genuinely take six months, it takes two weeks, it probably depends on the individual and how much they practice. And the thing is, I don't know that until I start learning more about it and talking to people. And so mm-hmm. it might start off as goal oriented and then work towards encompassing, incorporating aspects of process that right. might say like, this is what the traditional person does. Can I go above and beyond that, learn it quicker? Right. Or you know, do I have to pace myself a bit slower? Depending on um, what my timeline is and if I'm in a rush or certain things like that, like I want to lose a certain weight before the wedding. Right. We'll have to prioritize that over guitar because I can continue to learn at a slower pace guitar over the course of the next 10 years, but the wedding is coming up in two months. So right. I got to pick and choose which one I want to focus my energy on and which one I actually want to keep track of and right. process and devote right. time to. It's a good question. I think it starts off as goal oriented and that's what, you know, fuels the fire and keeps me passionate. And then the practical side of me says, okay, how do you actually accomplish that goal and do so either in a reasonable time or without spending an absurd amount of money? Um, and as I start to become more of an expert of that topic, then I start to incorporate some of the process into it. I think it's, it's an interesting question. When I started goal setting, it was like achieve X. And then it was like, yes or no. And, and I changed that. I'm, I'm, I'm totally a process guy now. And, it, and I look at it like this. When I set a goal, I'm like, okay, here's, you know, I want to be in the gym three or four times a week. You know, that's the, that's the inputs that I'm going to control. Then I look at the calendar, like we were talking about. And if I can't fit it in that calendar, I'm like, oh, this goal's not realistic mm-hmm. or, you know, something else has got to go. And then I put it in and then I'm like, all right, now I have a process and a time that it's scheduled. And my bet is that the outcome will, will come as a result of that. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. I think that's a good output to take on things that, that eventually will come. Yeah. Right. I think that's important to have some process that works for you, right? It, it varies for everyone. Right. Um, and so it's important to have something that you're quick to let go of if it's not working or adjust, if you find that there are opportunities for improvements, I think that's more important. One thing where people say like, why are you in this position, not someone else? Or why have you started sales to not someone else? And I attribute it to the fact that I just fuck up more than other people. And I then fix those fuck ups as a result of fucking up. And so when it takes someone to do something at whatever age, become a manager, speak in front of 300 people at a certain age, it took them a long time to get there because they haven't fucked up enough to get to the point where they feel comfortable doing it or have the experience doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been one of those pers- people that just goes and jump into things, right? I started consulting, making a good income, quit my job two weeks later. Mm. And I just jumped right into that. Why aren't you more scared of failing? How do you just dive in the deep end like that? I think in a lot of cases, I just followed my gun, my instinct. Mm. And in, in most, maybe it's subconsciously, but after reading a lot of these things, you realize like, what's the worst thing that failure could do if you play it out? What's the worst that could happen? And oftentimes it's not that bad. But I think in most cases, I haven't failed as badly as I anticipated, right? Everyone always thinks the worst possible outcome. Right. In most cases, it's somewhere between a bad outcome and a good outcome, right? It's like a mediocre outcome, a right. not so great outcome. Yeah, it's it's like the equivalent of playing okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And at that point, you figure out, do you want to continue to invest more time in doing that and learning and becoming better and, and fixing your mistakes? Or is it just not for you? Right. And I've had this many times over and over again. There are many things that I failed at where I'm like, this is not for me. Like I, hmm. I never learned to code. And quite frankly, I'm not interested in learning to code. It's not my strong suit. Uh, and I have no intentions in learning to code and I don't regret not learning to code. Um, I've tried many times 
and I realized that maybe in the future it might interest me more, it might be something that I want to take up in my 30s, and I'll happily take the time to learn and devote to, to coding, but right now it's not what interests me more. I'd rather spend my time playing guitar or walking my dog or doing other things, uh, learning another language, um, rather than learning to code today. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And, and what I think, that, you know, all this is getting at, the way that you work and the way that you prioritize enjoying your work and the gut instincts that you follow, it seems like you have a fairly solid understanding of yourself. Where does that come from? Have you always just sort of been like that? Or, or was that a, a process or a journey that, that, that you went through to, to sort of understand yourself in, in relation to the world a little bit better? I don't know how this is developed amongst people. I don't know if it's innate, if it's something that you learn, but I've always been very thoughtful about my approach when I'm talking with people, when I'm trying to understand their perspective and where they're coming from and putting myself in their shoes. Like I literally will remove myself out of the equation, try to understand everything that's going through someone's mind as they're making a decision and be empathetic to that. And I think that is something that I've had many conversations with people about and people just it's not always clear and evident. And I think, once again, I don't know if it's something that you can practice and be good at, or it's just how our brains are wired. Mm -hmm. But I've always been very thoughtful as to understanding where people are coming from, trying to put myself in their shoes, relate to what they're dealing with. And if I can't directly relate to them, try to find something indirectly where I felt that same emotion and try to understand and internalize that. And I don't, I don't know where it's come from. I don't know how I've, mm -hmm. how, how I'm able to do it, but I think it's helped me develop relationships really well. I think it's helped me as a person because I've become one of those people that I just don't get upset. I typically don't get frustrated mm -hmm. because almost to a detriment where, you know, if something bad were to happen to me, not, not in a bad way. Um, you had a bad experience at a restaurant or you're on a flight and like you have, you know, someone kicks your chair, things like that. I'm just like, Hmm. I've kicked someone's chair before accidentally, right. inadvertently, or you go, someone goes through a stop sign. Hmm. I've, you know, my mom's actually gone through a stop sign before. Like, why can't that person just have made a mistake too? Why do I have to honk my horn and freak out unnecessarily? When were you born? 1992. Now what month? September. Okay. September 20th. See, you know, there's, there's multiple ways of interpreting all this behavior. Some could say it's uh, it's your <laughs> sign. For me personally, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how we are and why we are. And I think it's a, it's a combination of people's cognitive genetic horsepower. Um, I think EQ is related yeah. to IQ as well, just totally. a, a type of skill set. Um, but then the environment, it's, it's often, I mean, you're you know, your parents play a big part. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, uh, something that really defines, so I think more people need to be working on it. Quite frankly, I think too often people just assume things happen to them and don't realize that they have full control over every reaction they make every, almost every decision they make. And um, I was talking with a mentor of mine actually about this and it's somewhat related, but we talked about like risk factors and everyone has some sort of appetite for risk and level a tolerance towards risk mm -hmm. in their lives. And my risk is I'm actually a very risk adverse person. Mm -hmm. I have emergency funds. I contribute fully to my TFSA and like properly invest and, you know, um, uh, in invest in just make sure that I'm totally diverse in, in, in all my investments and um, all my contracts and legalese and uh, with driving, I'm a very safe driver, things along those lines. I don't like to go on roller coasters, heights, things like that. So I'm very risk averse. But I also happen to be in my professional life in one of the most risky professions mm -hmm. in terms of I, I don't have benefits. I don't have a stable income at any point in time. I mean, the business could get sued and there's no income coming in. Like there's a lot of risky right, aspects of my right. professional career. That's debatable in terms of how people define risk, but in kind of the, the how people think about risk, that's very risky. Hmm. My fiance, on the other hand, happens to be, I would consider a crazy driver, um, <laughs> is less afraid of heights and willing to do those types of things. Right. And just generally will spend money and, and will not budget as much, but has a very stable income. Yeah. Right, as a teacher yeah. and a job yeah. and as soon as she becomes tenured and you've got benefits and everything. And I, I don't think 
people realize the, the point I was getting is people don't consciously think about these things mm-hmm. and they just think things happen in the universe where when I see people talking and how people are reacting almost 100% of the time you control the outcome of that conversation. Right. And far too often people don't realize that they have full control over the outcome of the conversation. And when they don't get what they want, they attribute it to something else probably mm-hmm. that the other person did. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think people just need to be a bit more thoughtful about uh, what they want out of life, what they enjoy, and what they can control and how they can impact others. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it? I think about this stuff all the time. You know, before I was in the tech scene, before I was a podcast host, I was an experiential educator and park ranger. And, um, and I used to just think about how people learned and interpreted all the time. Because we, we wouldn't be in a classroom, I'd be teaching outside mm-hmm. um, in, in the East Coast in a, in a wilderness park. And it led me to examine all kinds of things. A lot of people do take for granted how things unfold in the world. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. I think personality variances come into it a lot. I'm a little bit torn by this because there's date ranges, two specific date ranges of either A, the people that I'm really drawn to hang out with or all the people who I'm really close to in my life. And I have theories on this as well, but a lot of my friends, their birthdays cluster in end of January, early February. Hmm. It's like a little window. Yeah. Or late August to late September. Interesting. Yeah. And I, and I see it all the time. And then cool. I always ask people, when were you born? And like what month? Yeah. And just because I'm always just taking a little bit of a mental note. Yeah, and interesting. I mean not too dissimilar. My friends are either double my age and like mentors and people I, I inspire, I aspire to be and I talk to and I get advice from or my childhood friends. Right. And like people I've grown up with. Right. Uh, those are the people I spend 90% of my day talking with outside of my family. Right. Yeah. And, and for me too, there's there's two ways to interpret those two time frames. Maybe we have compatible signs if you're into the sign stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly. I, I have a bit of a theory that it's a lot of my childhood friends were in the January to February time window. And then I have an older brother who is late September. So those are you know the personalities that perhaps I'm just most used to that I recognize as being familiar and say okay you guys are my friends now yeah <laughs> you know that's funny yeah so let's bring this back around you know you've got a very long and impressive resume what what inspires you or or what gets you motivated to take on these projects I think partly um, what I'm passionate about today and making sure that I'm consistently fueling that fire and just that I'm, I'm feeding that hunger that I'm passionate about. And number two is the excitement I get from knowing that I can impact people's lives directly. And then I have the opportunity to potentially impact my family's life. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm trying to build companies now whereby I can try to remove any financial consideration from any any picture that I want, right. right? Right. What do you want to do? Well, I don't have to be worried about the financial constraints to a degree. I'm not going to be a billionaire. Um, but I mean, do I want to worry about whether or not I have to, you know, take the TTC or drive because gas is a bit more expensive or right. do I want to worry about right. having to go to like one resort versus another? Like these are all right. good first world problems that I'm not complaining about, but I would definitely not have to necessarily worry as much. And part of that is being financially savvy and making sure that you're budgeting and like you're definitely saving and, and you know spending much less than you're bringing in. So you get to financial freedom that way. But the other way is you just make more money and yeah. you develop multiple yeah. revenue streams. And that's what I'm currently working on whereby I'm gonna be making money when I'm not physically doing anything, when I'm sleeping, when I'm doing other things, whatever the case is. And that's where I'm gonna get to a point where I can you know financially support my family, uh, everyone in my family make decisions that I want that are not necessarily uh, based off financial considerations and then directly help people. So in the consulting company, we had a guy who uh, recently quit his job that he hated and he'd been working there for a long time and he just disliked what he did and he did dislike the environment and he found that the work he was doing with us was much more enjoyable and he was learning more and he was getting to work with smarter people and guess what he makes significantly more working with us than he did his previous job Hmm. one it gave him the ability to like not have to budget every month to the same degree that he has to right probably should still be as financially you know thoughtful about his decisions and what he does but doesn't have to be as concerned every month number two we also gave him the freedom to live out 
potentially what is a lifelong dream of his and his wife, which is they want to actually move to Portugal, buy a house there and just live there. And uh, that's a really cool thought to be like, wow, we unlock that for him. For sure. Right. There was no opportunity in sight where he was able to get, make more money, get paid an amazing rate, have the flexibility to do work when he wants, which day he wants. He could take days off at his own uh, desire and uh, move to a different continent. And, you know, none of that would be changed. Brilliant. So that's that. I never had felt that feeling to that degree, but after feeling it and seeing it, I think that really excited me and got me fired up and want, I want to see that happen more often. Mm-hmm. Do you think you sort of break yourself as an employee as soon as you work for yourself? Because you just sort of realize, I don't really think I could work for somebody else. Do you feel that? I don't. I don't. Hmm. I used to feel that. Yeah? I used to feel that. And I think um, to a degree that that is correct. I'm not disagreeing with that. I just think if you know who you're working for and working with and you can manage up or you're thoughtful or you're picking the people very carefully that you're working for and you're not working for, you're working with them, um, it's not a bad thing to work for someone else or to work right. for the man, yeah, so you, to speak. You, you can click into the tribe. Yeah, you gotta figure out what you want what you want out of your work. Right. right. Like going to work at a bank is not a bad outcome, Right. but if you prioritize moving quickly and learning and getting work with other functions, you're not gonna get that at a bank. Right. right? You're too specialized. Right. You're not gonna get that exposure. And so trying to get that in an environment where it's just not feasible is where that disconnect comes. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to work for the man anymore. Right. Or the woman, whatever it is, but that's, that's just not the right way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, And and as you're saying that I'm actually going through my head, I'm like, even if I was just working fully on my own and just hypothetically, you know, if let's say, let's say if Jason Goldlist is start, you know, starting a company one day and he's got a open head count he's like, Hey John, come work for me. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah, it's happening. And you know what? Working alone or working for yourself or even remote work at a company is fucking lonely. Yeah, I, I imagine. It is hard. It is not easy. Like this transition has been super difficult mentally, mm-hmm. physically, because I'm sitting all day and I'm not getting up as much. I have to make an effort to stretch and to do all these things that I wouldn't even have to worry about before as much. It is not easy. No right? kidding. So it's not like just benefits. Oh, I got to make my own hours. I wake up earlier. I work later. I dress nicer. You know, like I invest more in myself than I would if I was, you know, when I was working. That is all more effort and more work right. than when I was working for someone at right. a company. Huh. Um, and, but I, it, you know, on the counter to that, like I enjoy it, right? I'm happy, like I, I wake up happy, right? Right. Nothing wrong with that. I go right. to sleep and I don't, you know, I don't feel like I overworked myself. And if I did, I can always stop and pick up the next day. Some days I'll decide to take my dog on a walk first thing in the morning rather than working for two hours. Right. And so I have the luxury to do that. So it balances itself out, but it's, it's not easy. And it's not like the grass is necessarily greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to just tie this back around to is, uh, financial independence, something that there's no real book on in school. Yeah. How important do you think that is to cultivate those skills? I think it's important to be interested in that. Mm-hmm. I started trading equities when I was like 15 for my parents. Nice. And just like losing money, none, you know, yeah. they gave me money yeah, and I had course. my own money and I started investing my own money as soon as I turned 16 when I had got a job and I was able to get, to get money through my parents and an account and all that fun stuff. And I enjoyed it. I genuinely studied it, read up on it, followed it, kept track of it. And if you don't enjoy that stuff, it's not going to be fun to do. Right. So you have to make sure that you genuinely enjoy doing that stuff and figure out what you enjoy. Some people may not care about investing and that's fine. Like open an account in Wealthsimple, that's okay. Right. But, you know, do you you like keeping track of, you know, your spend and budgeting and how much money you're making, right? Most people can't tell you how much money they make on a paycheck. Right. Or how much they're contributing or their tax return is, all those things. I have accountants file my own my tax, but I still will do my own tax filing to figure out how much money and making sure that we're aligned. Right. I enjoy doing that stuff. Right. I enjoy knowing every single line item on a tax return and what it means and the implications of you know what I do every single day and how it results in my tax return, those types of things. But I also think there's what is financial independence. And I read a book not too long ago called um, Anti-Fragile mm. by Nassim Taleb. Yeah, nice. Uh, highly recommend it. And it blew my mind the concept of risks and like what does it mean to be financially free in that perspective that vantage point had not been something that i'd ever thought of hmm. and it's a book that i recommend to everyone so that you just have to read it 
And um, it's definitely changed my whole life in terms of how I think about, honestly, many things. It's a fantastic book, fantastic concepts. G- give me the, the synopsis. First, read read the book. Okay. Read, this is not going to do it justice. Read the book. But the term anti-fragile, there's no word. If I were to go in, this is in the book, if I were to go and ask someone, what's the definition of fragile? They would say like hard or strong or unbreakable. But Of anti-fragile. Yes. Yeah, right, of, right, yeah. Or what the definition of fragile, of, sorry, yes. Of anti-fragile. Yes. Yeah. And um, that is incorrect because by definition, fragile is something that if um, hit over time or if it experiences stress over time is likely to break, like a um, glass in a box, right? right? Um, It's not necessarily weak. It's not necessarily likely to break. It's just fragile. And so if you apply too much pressure, it'll break. So the opposite of that is when you apply too much pressure, it gets stronger. Right. And that's not what strong means. Strong doesn't mean if I hit you 20 times, you're gonna get stronger. Right. And so there's no word in the English language to define anti-fragile. And then he relates that. Like, what does that look like in a real life scenario? He compares a banker to a cab driver in the financial collapse, like 2008, 2007. And he says, you know, the banker was potentially making 20, 30, 40, 50% more money. 2017, 2007, 2008 comes along. Um, The banker's out of a job, can't find a job stuck on EI, doesn't know what to do, right. is used to living paycheck, is used to live, making a lot of money month to month, right. has not set up their life in a way that is conducive to now no longer receiving a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a cab driver might be making less, but they've set up their life in a way that they understand that every month can be variable. They don't know what to expect. They've learned what they need to do if they're having a slow month, how to pick that up in the last half of the month. They've learned to take it easy if they've made a lot in the first half of the month and need to take it slow in the second half of the month. And they can attune themselves to this variability month to month. And that is anti-fragile, is that you're, you can adapt and you've gone to the point where if a cab driver, if there's a recession, yeah, not as many people might use a cab but they've they've you know they, built they've that already into forecasted. Their, yeah, and they've built that into their lifestyle, mm. and they know how to react to that. Whereas if most people lose their job, it's like they have to find a job immediately because they haven't built up their lifestyle to allow for that period of time where they're not making an income or they don't have any other revenue streams. Right, and so it's hard for them to survive. It's huge change, and so he just talks about how this concept of anti fragile. Most people have it flipped. Right, and getting a stable job does not necessarily mean you're financially free. In that you're um, mitigating a risk to any of these black swan events, which is like huge financial recessions or right. anything along those right. lines. A um, bad investment. Like, anything. Y- um, do, you watch, uh, do you watch Billions? I do. Yeah. Great show. So Brian Koppelman also hosts my favorite podcast, The Moment. Yeah. That's sort of what I structured this one like totally. to be like a little bit. The question is how much is enough? And he's like, well, by the time you get this expense and that expense and the private schools and all this, he's like, it's not enough. It, and yeah. it's like, you know, $30 million a year. And it's absurd. Yeah. But that's that's the thing is that people often just, they get more, so they spend more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they, they, they don't really account. And it's sort of like, it's sort of just like basic street smarts, isn't it? Totally. You know? I, if we were to compare budgets with most people my age on the street, I would bet I, I make the same or, or more, but I spend half as much as they do. For sure. Half as much as they do. Hmm. There's no doubt in my mind, and I know this because my accountant has seen my financials and said, you spend way too little money. You actually need to spend more money because <laughs> yeah. you're being taxed absurdly and right. it's, it's unnecessary right. and you can probably spend be a bit more smart about what, what you expense right. and how you're spending your money um, so that you can just leverage and exploit everything that you need to. Yeah. To your point, it's um, most people are just, they're just not thoughtful about it. And it's not necessarily because they don't, they don't want to be. A lot of people just didn't take the time to learn or aren't passionate about it or have the resources at hand or were fortunate enough to grow up in an environment where they could screw around with that, right? I could screw around when I was 16, 17 with a couple thousand dollars. Not everyone gets that luxury. So yeah. um, to some degree, you know, some people's environment didn't allow for it, but in many situations, a lot of people um, just didn't take the time. For sure. They just, a, they just don't put their attention there. I, I could talk about it all day because I learned, I learned the hard way. Um, I learned by, you know, blowing through a graduate school budget when I was in graduate school. And yeah. then I was, I finished graduate school and I was in debt. And then I was like, oh my God, this, like, I, I hated it. 
Yeah. And I just felt it every day. I woke up, I, was, I could feel that debt. Yeah. And, and, you know, people who do, who are in debt can, can relate to that. I know. And then I just automated everything. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm just going to have, like, I'm just going to spend a third of my paycheck on like rent and every, and everything else is just going to be automatically on that, yeah. that debt. I run, I run my financials like a business yeah. and like besides the mortgage that I got a couple years ago, I'd been profitable up until the age of like 16. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's how I think about it. Where every year I've made more money, significantly more money than I've spent. Yeah. Brilliant. And I've saved I have it and it's good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's just about thinking about it from that perspective and, and making sure. And some people will use tactics like that so that as soon as they get a you know, deposit, boom, half of that will go into your TFSA or your savings account or your emergency fund or paying off debt. And that's probably a smart way to do it. Mm-hmm. Everything we're talking about, there, there's a couple of themes that stand out. Very intentional about everything you do. You've definitely put a lot of, a lot of thought into um, the, the way that you approach your life. How do you go about that? Do you, do you have like first principles that you apply or, or what's the design behind the intention that you apply to your life. I'm ruthless about wanting to learn and continuously improve. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answers to most things that I do in life and I don't even know if I'm doing them the right way, but my goal is to figure out what the right way is. And maybe in somewhere in some book, that's a first principle, but I'm just constantly evaluating the decisions I'm making and ensuring that I'm improving if I'm not making the best decision or talking to people about the decisions I made to understand if there's another alternative or outcome that I could have made. And I'm like constantly rethinking myself and I'll find myself thinking, was that the right move? And it, in my head and my brain's being like, yes, it was the right move. You made the right decision. And it's so hard to, to, to like argue against yourself mm-hmm. and to say like, okay, let me take a step back. Right. And if someone tells you something and you don't, dis- you don't agree with it, can you, consciously say to yourself let me understand why I don't agree like why my head is telling me I don't agree with what that person is saying and it's generally because we've been wired that way but it's not necessarily mean because it's right and so right um, I often find myself catching myself thinking these things and saying wait I know I think this way but do I think this way because I've learned this it's just been wired in my head for this long like why am I thinking this and is it still right and I'll question myself often. And so I think, I don't know if it's a first, once again, I don't know if it's a first principle, but there's just things that I've done that have worked for me and I've maintained them and I've consistently applied them to every scenario I've been in. And uh, they've helped take me this far and I've fine tuned them and I've improved them. And if it's working, I continue to stick with it and I just slowly make improvements and I try not to move too quick. I've been keeping a budget for many years now and mm-hmm. there are a couple of years where it's super inefficient. And over time, I've become better, better at keeping track of my budget, connecting things, becoming more uh, proficient at Excel. And I'm just 10 times faster now. But right. I wasn't 10 times faster and knew what I knew back then. Now I know. Right. Um, it's just through perseverance Right. Uh, in a lot of scenarios. Interesting. You know, one, one of the things I love about having a podcast is I can take all that and ask you to distill it totally. in advice. You know, so if, if somebody meet somebody in passing or, you know, somebody who, who knows a little bit about you and says, you know, Kenny, you live such an interesting life. You founded these companies, you work on your own terms. Um, you prioritize financial independence. Uh, I, I want to, I want to be like that. I want to be like you, somebody says, you know, what, what kind of advice do you share with them to get them started? I wish I, I wish I was better at giving advice. I wish I was one of those people where like a podcast is like, here are my top three things that I recommend to other people. Right. And there's a lot of things online and there's a lot of advice that people can take and ones that you may agree with, disagree with. And I've received a ton of advice. And I think what typically stands out is the people I generally receive the best advice from and ones that are most applicable and helpful to me are from people who've done these things more than others Mm -hmm. and have lived through them and can share real life examples of how that's impacted them or what they've done. And um, some things that I've continuously seen over and that's helped me is reading. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so many books out there have changed my perspective on things in life and how I do things and how I think about things, anti-fragile being one of them, but there's many even sales books out there and um, a couple of Tim Ferriss's books. I just think it's changed my entire perspective in life. Yep. And there are very few places where you can gain that much knowledge and perspective in such a short span of time um, and alone, like reading and digesting it. And I, I'm not one of those people that like remembers every quote from a book, right? But there are certain things that just stick out and uh, I should probably reread a lot of those books over and over again, but I don't. Um, but there, there'll be a few things that stick out. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, how do you remember everything in a book? I don't. Yeah. I maybe remember one or two themes or concepts or things that just have really stuck with me. And maybe I'll go back to those things. Oftentimes I won't, but I think that's been a huge impact. And I think it's, I think it's a competitive, I think it's a cheat code. Yeah. Right. Like people want to know hacks. The hack is like, do the fucking work, Mm -hmm. read the damn book. And like, that is the hack, right? (laughs) Because the majority of people won't read the damn book. Right. And so that is something that I think people can take advantage of and just do. And I would say, follow your passion. Like, don't be afraid to fuck up as you do. So, um, every job I've had, I wasn't something that I explicitly applied for. I reached out to the people directly. Mm -hmm. I've convinced people that I should take on more than I can chew. And I've failed many times at those jobs, but because they saw that I was improving and working hard and making sure that it never happened again, people are okay with that outcome of first failing. And so, um, I think the general advice is people don't fail enough. Mm. Like I, I do a lot of stupid shit and I get lucky, but, um, one great example is I, I bought a condo without a real estate agent and I never bought property before. Hmm. But I did the research. I built a model. I checked out 50 other places. I spoke to a billion other realtors and people who've bought properties before became an expert at it. Um, and guess what? And the next property I'm going to buy is without a realtor hmm. and I'll know all the questions to ask. I'll have my models before I'll know what to look for. I'll know everything that needs to be done. And I, I help other people who talk to realtors and I, I can understand it now and I can, I can speak, uh, you know, I'm savvy at it. Um, and so it, I think just people need to jump into these things feet first. And like, that's one of the biggest decisions of my life. And I jumped into it head first, not thinking about the outcome. And it worked out really well, like s- super well. I got below asking like a very favorable outcome. Hmm. Um, it wasn't expected, but, um, I wasn't afraid of failing that much. And, um, maybe that'll hit me later on in life, but I think I'm becoming smarter that I'm removing risks at a lot of decisions I take now. And so it's less likely to happen as a result of that. But I think people should just do things they love to do. Life is generally short. And like, if you fuck up, make an effort to try to improve and ensure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Life is short. Get out there and fail. I think, I think that's it, man. I think, um, there's no real hardcore advice or secret or magic code. Like that's it. Like just do what you want to do. Um, I don't think enough people say that or enough people do it, quite frankly. It's funny when you really start to feel that, you know, something different happens. You just start, you just say, okay, yeah, yeah. What, you know, all the things that I thought were facts out there are just somebody's opinion. It's all it is. It's just tradition carried over and over and over again. And um, the amount of times where people in my family are like, you can't, you gotta go get a job. You know, someone's got to pay you. What do you mean you don't know how much you're going to make? You can't tell me exactly how much you're going to make next month or what your income is this year. Figure it out. Yeah. Like, and guess what? It's doing pretty well, right? And um, that's a result of me not knowing and being able to answer those questions. Um, but had I not taken those leaps, I wouldn't have gotten here. So I think if, if people are passionate about something and they want to do something, just go ahead and do it and um, make sure that you have priorities straight. And, and like, this is not a one day type thing. This is not, this doesn't happen overnight, right? You have to make baby steps and improve 1% every day. If you're, you don't want to hit financial independence, we'll start by going through and reviewing your visa statement once every week and just seeing what you're spending and then just writing them down. And then the next month, start categorizing and put numbers beside them. And then the following month, right, you can start keeping track of your bank accounts, credits and debits, and just seeing if it evens out, right? In the following month, you can start tracking and percentages and allocations to which categories. And then over six month period, you've built yourself a great budget. Mm -hmm. Like that's super simple to do. And it does not have to be overnight. It can be over two, three years. No one says you have to rush things or you have to be an expert right away. Right. Um, That's the benefit of starting young. And that's what I've taken advantage of, which many people, um, 
worry about later on in life. Yeah, you know, I'll worry about my professional career later. Well, why not right now? Why not your professional and your professional career right now? Right. When you're young, when you can afford to fail and fuck up and not have to worry about uh, um, trying to do everything overnight as soon as you hit 30. Right. I like it. Well, you know, that's a great distillation. That's what I was looking for. Exactly that. I hope so, man. Get out there and, and, and fail and, and try again. Good ramble. Good, oh, good two, three minute skit. Excellent. Monologue. Excellent monologue. Great place to end this edition of the podcast. Uh, but Kenny, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, man. We'll, uh, been a lot of fun. You know, we'll get you back. This is just, uh, this is just the, t- the tip of the spear. I'll do ep- this episode and then episode, you know, do like a h- episode 100 with all your favorite guests. Exactly. Ho- hopefully this is one Exa- of them. Oh, you, 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 can, you can count on this being in the year in review. Nice. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Kenny. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the To Be Canadian podcast. This is so much fun, and we're just getting started. If you've been enjoying the show, please like, subscribe, comment wherever you listen to podcasts. Send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. I'm so stoked. Folks tuning in every single week. I'll be back again next week, Sunday night, coming out with a new episode, and I can't wait to see you all again then. And one final tagline before I log off for this week, folks, just a reminder, life is short. Make it count out there, full send or nothing at all. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.